This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. So today I want to talk about something uh, that's very um, dear to my heart. It's, a, it's this idea about redeeming the time. Um, if there's one thing that all of us are given an equal amount of every single week, it's this thing called time. Uh, no matter your circumstance, no matter your culture, no matter your background, no matter where you are in life, we're all given an equal amount of time um, in a week. We're given 24 hours a day uh, or 168 hours in a week. Um, how we spend those 168 hours greatly determines whether we feel uh, like we have purpose or not. Um, and it can also be a great reflection as to whether or not what we do is of eternal value um, or not. And many of us think of time as in just an increment of time as uh, something that we can measure and something that we can count, something that is limited. Uh, and many people think of that time frame in relation to death, right? Many people think this is how long I have until it ends. But today I want to challenge our thinking as we get into this today. I want to challenge us to actually think of time not in relation to death, but in relation to life. Because there's something so powerful about living life to the fullest, about living life in a way that you're making your time count. And then it doesn't become about how much time you have left until it's over. It's about what you do with the time that will affect then the rest of your time for eternity. Because God has actually created us to be eternal beings. And so he didn't mean for us to ever think of, of life in just this short time span. He wanted us to think about something that we've been given, a gift that we've been given, that's going to go on for all eternity. So would you just bow your heads and pray with me this morning, and then we're going to jump right into this. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've already done, that you're here, that your presence is here. And we pray, God, that you would come and just speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would speak to our minds, but I pray, God, today that you would go deeper and inspire our hearts to fully live for you, God. I pray, God, this morning that you would challenge each and every one of us, God. We just surrender our hearts to you this morning. We ask that you would come, and we thank you that your word is alive and it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray, God, that that word today would be active and alive in each and every one of us and start separating those things in our hearts and in our minds that are not of you and, and help us, God, to take in and fully be challenged, Lord, by what you want to say to us this morning. We thank you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, I believe that God wants us to not just live with purpose, but I believe that he wants us to live on purpose. Um, Jesus wants us to live a full life, to have fullness every day of our lives. John 10, 10, very uh, famous verse. I'm going to read it from the Amplified because I love how it says that the, thieves, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. What we do in life affects what we do after um, if we're driven with eternity in our hearts, then it helps us to live life to the fullest, just like Jesus wanted us to. And it helps us to invest into things that have eternal rewards or eternal returns. And uh, this morning, I actually um, may be a little bit different to some, but I know some of you are new, don't really know uh, my story or our story. But this morning, I actually want to dedicate this service. I, I normally don't do this. Um, 
There we go. I haven't even started. <laughs> ah, um, Zoe, help me. <laughs> no, you're no help in this area. <laughs> um, but I want to dedicate it to someone who's very special to me, um, who was very special to me, someone that inspired me uh, to live life to the fullest at all times. Yesterday marked the 13th anniversary of my dad's death. I'm sorry. September 1st is always a hard day for me. Because um, if you knew my dad, you'd know why. He was a pretty remarkable man and uh, one of my closest friends in life. And uh, he inspired me to always live to the fullest, to never waste an opportunity, to never not go when God said go, to never fear when something seemed too difficult. And so, as unusual as it is, I want to dedicate this service and this message to him because he taught me something very special. Of all the people I've ever met, I've hardly met anyone that lived so full. He only lived 54 short years on this earth, but man, did he ever do a lot. He accomplished some pretty awesome things and inspired everybody he met to do the same. So today, I want to talk about the measure that we call time and what God calls us to do with that measure that we've been given. Because I believe it's a gift. And it's something that we've been given. Every one of us have the same opportunity. So I want to talk about three different uh, time frames that we live in. I actually need a volunteer. Wow, it's not going to be scary, guys. Joel Menard, I'm going to pick you just because. Just because you're fun. You can... You can well, you're all fun. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> Joel, come on up. Here you go. And no, you may not eat all of those, Joel. Come back here. He's like a big kid. If you don't know Joel yet, you'll get to know him. Um, so, in this jar, there is 168 chocolate loonies. <clears throat> no, there's not 167. My boys already tried in my house, big and small. I'm like, no! They came begging, pleading, bribing. They did all sorts of things, not just the young boys. There was other boys in my house. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm like, sorry, boys. Daddy already tried, and I said no to him, so good luck with that one. Um, anyhow, there is 24 hours in a day, and uh, if you multiply that by seven, it's 168 hours in a week. And so what we have in this jar, it's a representation of the time Thank you, Joel. Or what's that girl's name? That Venerite. Yeah, there you go. Awesome job, Joel. So we have 168 hours in a week. And so I want to talk about what we do with those 168 hours and how we can use them wisely, the way God intends us to. So how many know that God actually created humans to take a break every now and then? There is something that he established from the very beginning of mankind that he called the Sabbath. Um, I know we don't really follow those rules today um, like we should, um, but what we have is we have a time frame of our life that God has said we should take a break. We should have as a Sabbath. It's a Hebrew word. It's the same word in Greek, pretty much. Uh, but it's what we call Sabbath. And, and God said that at least one 24-hour period in a week, we need to take a complete break Complete. So if you can count out 24 of those and just put it in there. Um, 
Sabbath actually means sleep, rest, rejuvenation. Uh, it's translated as intermission, cease from work or intensity. Um, and so God actually calls us in life to take a break from our work. And ladies, this does not include shopping, okay? And, or if, actually, for some, maybe it does. For me, it does not. Um, and men, uh, this does not give you the excuse to use your nothing box at opportune times. It's, that's, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, well, I guess every now and then you can use it. But just don't use it as an excuse, okay? Um, but God designed us this way. Now, on top of these 24 hours in a week, he also uh, in- invented something called sleep. <laughs> and when you look at statistics, it actually says that the average person needs at least eight hours of sleep in a week. So that's actually another 72. Uh, that's... Um, <sighs> that's, uh, that's, no, because we already have eight in the time frame of the 24. So it's going to be 48. 48. Where's James? We need a, there you go, mathematician. Well, smart guy. <laughs> um, so 48. Joel, can you count up to 48? I know you made it to 24, but can you? you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, you can count up 48 more. 48 more. Okay. So that's going to add up to 72 hours in a week. So while he's doing that, um, that's the minimum that God requires of us in a week. And I know when, when we look at that in perspective, we're going to see that it's actually a good chunk of time that God intended us to actually take a break, to cease from works, to cease from the intensity of the life that we experience today. But then while he's doing that, it gives us 96 hours to spend on something else. So I want to look at what do we do, because I'm going to assume that we're going to be good boys and girls and take the break that God intended, <laughs> uh, but it gives us 96 hours to spend on something else. So I want to talk about something that the Bible actually uses, another Greek word, and it's called kairos. Uh, it's the Greek word kairos, and it actually means the right or the opportune time or an opportunity that you're given. Um, this is the time that we would use to, you know, spend with God, spend with people, uh, maybe sharing about God with other people, serving Him, um, sharing the love of Jesus in different ways and forms, maybe be involved in, you know, a small group or things that help you grow, things that help you learn. So say, say that, we, um, that we have some time in the morning to spend with Jesus. I'm going to say if we do at least 30 minutes a day, that's going to be six hours in a week. I'm not counting the 24-hour time frame of of the Sabbath, because I'm going to assume we were spending time with God during that time. Um, so, no, I'm going to go low first and say if we do 30 minutes um, a day, that's going to be six hours in a week. But say that we're really good, and we're going to add six more just because. So we're going to spend in three, what was that? It's three hours. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's telling me your math is totally off. 30 minutes a day, um, <clears throat> would be three hours, but we're good. We're so good that we actually spent an hour with God a day already. Um, so it's going to be six hours. Thank you very much for pointing that out in front of everybody. That was awesome. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I need to go to Queens, clearly. Um, so, but say we also have some really good quality family time um, that we invest into our, our family, into our relationships, say an hour a day, so you want to add six more to that. Um, say you go to a connect group or maybe a quick classes where you're just um, being poured into and you're growing and you're learning. You want to add another couple of hours into that. Say you meet up with a friend and you have an awesome connection point with them and you're just sharing with them and you're just, you're just sharing back and forth and building into that relationship. Maybe add a couple of hours for that. Um, if you're me, it's going to be four hours because I'm a talker. And if you're Cameron, add another because it's going to be five. 
maybe a couple more, and you know, a few more. Yeah, there you go. You get the point, right? So hopefully you're spending some really good time. Maybe add a couple more because it looks so little. Um, <laughs> we're doing some meaningful things. Okay, save some. There you go. <laughs> okay, so these are some really meaningful things that we're doing in a week. And so uh, God actually intends for us to live primarily in this time outside of the Sabbath time. But then there's something else that I want to show you that the Bible actually defines as something called, again, a Greek word. I know it's unusual Greek, but it's called chronos. That's where we get chronological from. So chronos time, that would be time that is not necessarily super uh, meaningful. Maybe you're brushing your teeth. Maybe you're doing laundry for seven people. You can add like 14 hours a week in there. Uh, eating chocolate, but we're not going to do that right now. Joel, Lisa, can you get them under control over here? Um, but... This, this pretty much just means a time span, uh, short or long, or an increment of time. These are often mundane things that we do, like, you know, waiting at a stoplight. For some, it can be checking Facebook. Did I say that <laughs> loud? Oh, I'm sorry. Ouch, that really hurt. I mean, that could, that could be really awesome, meaningful time, depending on what you do on Facebook. Okay, you can, did you bring tomatoes? Because now is the time to throw them. Anyhow, uh, but there can be things that we, yeah. <laughs> Depending on how you live your life, uh, what I want to show us this morning is you can actually kind of dump between those two so that they're fairly equal. Um, but what I want to show you this morning is that what God desires for us to do with our time is actually come to a place in life where we can take a lot of our chronos time and lived with the right perspective, we can actually make it Kairos time. Thank you, Joel. You did an awesome job, everyone. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I just had some fun stats. In a 70-year lifespan, uh, did you know that you spend about 20 years and three months sleeping? You spend about 10 years and five months watching reruns on some kind of television. Uh, about seven years and six months, seven and a half years, is spent eating and drinking. About five years and nine months is spent in a vehicle of some sort, transporting from one place to another. Um, 18 months of your life is spent waiting in line. Six months of that is spent at a stoplight. <laughs> stoplight, ah, we need to make it Kairos time. Um, good time to pray. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should share this, but about 18 months is spent in a very special room. Um, <laughs> one month, you're gonna be shocked at this, is spent picking your nose. <laughs> That's really nasty. I'm going to stop now because I feel like this is derailing and it's no longer Kronos time. It's just, I mean, it is Kronos time and we need some Kairos time this morning. Um, but what I am suggesting is that a lot of people have an imbalance in how they spend their time. And if I can challenge all of us this morning and say that I believe that that's why a lot of people are feeling feelings of meaninglessness, potential potentially feeling a lack of purpose, and potentially even depression, because we don't know how we're to spend our time wisely, the way God designed us to spend it. And so my goal this morning is to actually help us see that even in the mundane things, even in the little things, and please don't stop brushing your teeth or doing laundry or things like that, because please continue, you know, washing up and things like that, doing dishes. But when we do them with the right perspective, when we do them the way that God intended us to do them, I would challenge us to say that God can actually help us 
live on purpose every day of our life and live in chaos time. I guess that's it. <laughs> you got the point? Awesome. I can go home now. No, um, Ephesians 5, 17, sorry, 15 to 17 says it this way. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. How many know that the days around us right now are evil? It's terrible. So God says he knows. He knows that this is the day we live in. And he says, be careful how you live. Be wise. Don't be unwise. Around you, you see this evil, but therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Not just his grand will for the earth, but his will for you, for your life. The New King James Version says it this way, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. These, these verses actually suggest that if we use our time wisely, we will actually start to understand what the Lord's will is. For our lives. Colossians 4 5 says it this way walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, towards those who don't know Christ yet, who, to, towards those who don't know how to live their life, how to prioritize their life yet. Walk in wisdom toward those, redeeming the time. That word redeeming, if you know anything about me, I love to look at meaning of words. And in Greek, it's actually the word exaggerazo. I found that incredibly interesting because what happens when you exaggerate something? Anybody, that was not a rhetorical question. Um, what happens when you exaggerate? You make it bigger. And so God is actually saying that when you are redeeming the time, you can take a moment in time, you can take a span of time, a chronos moment, and you can actually make it bigger. You can expand what is given within that opportunity and make it something meaningful. You can redeem, you can exaggerazo, you can redeem that time. It actually means, the direct translation means to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. Every opportunity, it says redeem the time, make wise use of every opportunity you're given. So next time you stand and you brush your teeth, <laughs> you can be like, Jesus, <laughs> this is awesome. I love you, Jesus. You know, you can pray at all times to that seizing. It's awesome what you can do. Um, anyhow, Romans 13, 11 to 14 says this, and do this knowing the time, and it's using the word time as in kairos, knowing that the time is now high time to wake up out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, lewdness and lust and strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. It's saying if you redeem the time, if you capture the time, if you wake up and recognize that the day, the time is here, it's now for every one of us to live fully to the full, then we can put on Jesus Christ. These verses actually are preceded by, um, by Paul speaking about love being the fulfillment of the law. Someone uh, was wondering, what, what is the fulfillment of the law? Is it us doing good works? It is, uh, is it us following the law? Is it us doing all these things? And he goes on this, this whole um, explanation to say there's this commandment, that commandment, but they can all be summed up by love being the greatest commandment of all. And then it says, and do this. In other words, live in love knowing that your time is now. You need to wake up out of sleep and take every 
opportunity. So Paul is calling us to wake up and realize that time is ticking. In fact, it's rushing by us. We live in a culture that's constantly on the move. However, how many have ever felt a little bit stressed by the tempo that we live in and by the, just the constant rushing around us and everything is going on and you can never just sit down and be inactive. You know what I mean? Like I wish we had like one of those like inactive things that you have on your phone where it's just gone to sleep, <laughs> can't function right now. Uh, but so many times we feel this pressure. I found this verse and it perfectly describes our culture today. It's from James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. It says, now listen, you who say, today and tomorrow we'll go this, to this or that city, spend a year here, carry on business and make money. Hello, isn't that what we live like many times in our culture today? We're going to go here, we're going to do this, we're going to move there, we're going to make money, we're going to have a business, we're going we're gonna, to, gonna, 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 right? But then he goes on to say, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. In other words, I believe that, you know, many times we're, we make plans where we are to live, what business we are to have, what money we're to make. And planning is not a bad thing, so don't misread me. It's a great thing to have goals and ambitions and to... Uh, to work towards something because it can be greatly used by the Lord. But rather than trying to control our time, I believe that God calls us to surrender our time. And when we surrender our time for Him, then He can in every moment of every day lead us and guide us into what is um, meaningful time used for His purposes in our lives and through our lives. In Swahili, I uh, was born in Tanzania, for those of you who don't know, we say, Mungo Akipenda. If God wills it, and if it's His will, then I want to live in this way, where I'm saying, God, whatever your purpose is, whatever your will is, and I'm not talking about being super spiritual and not doing the normal things, so please hear me, right? Go, don't go out here and, and stand in the convenience store and ask God, if I want this chocolate bar or that one. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about seeking the Lord, the first thing you do each day, and saying, God, I surrender my time to you. I surrender my time at work to you, God. If you want this to be an opportunity where I can show the love of Jesus to those around me, then I surrender my time to you. God, I surrender the time that I have left over with my family, with my friends, with the relationships that I have in life. I surrender it to you. And when you surrender your time to God, he can turn it into something that will touch not just you, but those around you in a profound way for eternity. See, the problem with this is often we end up doing things then out of strife or guilt. Have you ever been there? Where you feel like you should be doing things that you're not doing and then you're striving to make it happen? Anybody? Just me? Okay. Awesome. Thank you for the couple of people that have been there. Awesome. Um, or you meet that super Christian that's like perfect and, <laughs> and you feel even more guilty after talking for five minutes to them. You know, you know those ones? Um, <laughs> no? <laughs> um, but can I say this morning that I think the best way that we can surrender our time and surrender our lives to Jesus is to tap into the rest of God when we truly rest in him and in his purpose for our life then it's not hard it's not striving it's not exhausting it's not something that we have to live up to it's something that we live in because when we constantly put him first then he can teach us to redeem the time and turn Kronos time into Kairos time. 
See, when we live with the right perspective, we will want to do the meaningful things out of relationship with him, not out of guilt, but out of relationship with him. We will want to share about him. We will want to give. We will want to serve those around us. We will want to live like Jesus and love like Jesus because we are like him when we spend time with him, right? In fact, God tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that there's a rest that the people of God need to enter into. In verse 11, he says, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? Make an effort to rest, But he says it's that important that you make every effort to enter the rest of God so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. In other words, don't just work, 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 work for something without having relationship with him first. The rest of God is an awesome thing. In fact, a few verses later in verse 16, he says that we can come boldly before the throne of God to find mercy and grace in the time of need. In that word time, of course, it actually uh, comes out of the root word keros. It's, it's you keros. The time of need is a time that I, I just, God spoke to me as I read that verse. And he says, do you know that when you come before the throne of God, it's never wasted time. It's never just a span of time that you come and you go and nothing was accomplished. But when you come in time of need, it's keros time to God. He says, it's meaningful time when you come, when you seek me, when you ask for help and mercy and grace in the time of need. I take that moment and he actually redeems it, exaggerates it, makes that into an opportune time to fellowship with you. And so don't ever be afraid. And this is in the context of the rest of God. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace in the time, chaos time of your need. And he treasures that time. On September 1st, 2005, that was one of those times for me. I referenced my father in the beginning, but uh, for those of you who haven't heard this story, uh, at 2 a.m. I got a phone call. My parents um, lived in Sweden, and so... You know when you get that phone call at 2 a.m., it's never good news. It's, uh, it's never a good thing. And so I pick up the phone, and I'm kind of groggy, and I sit up in bed, and I said, hello, and I hear it's my, my mom's voice. She was in shock because she had just come home and found my dad, who had, um, who had passed away from a, a massive heart attack very quickly. So um, she was clearly in shock, but she said, Sandra, your dad's dead. That's it. And so I, I sat up, and I went, say that again? And she says, he's gone. That's it. And I can tell you that was not a good moment for me. I sat up in bed. The phone call ended pretty much there because she didn't know what else to say and I didn't either other than I'll try to get there, mom. And I sat up in bed. Of course, Cameron was like, what's going on? And... uh, In that moment, I didn't know what to do. I cried. We talked a little bit. You know, you feel really helpless when you're thousands of miles away and you can't get there. And I knew it was going to take a while because we didn't even have a valid passport for Josiah at the time. He was just little. And so I didn't know what to do. So I, I got out of bed and I said to Cameron, I'll be back. And I got in the car, I didn't even know where I was going or what I was doing, but I, I found myself at the doorsteps of the church. This was when we lived in Oshawa. And I walked in, I went up to the platform, I got on the piano, and I can honestly say I had the most intimate chaos time 
with God that day, that night. For the next couple of hours, Jesus and I spent some Carol's time because I needed help and grace and mercy in the time of need. And I don't know if God has ever done this to you, but he spoke so much in such a short span of time. Because that that's what happens. God doesn't need us to be perfect. God doesn't need us to have it all together. God doesn't need us to, to work our way towards his perfect righteousness. He needs us to come the way we are and say, God, here I am. I surrender myself. I surrender my time. I surrender my life. Here I am. Take me, use me, mold me, shape me, do whatever. My dad died at 54. And to say that I was angry is an understatement. But I wasn't angry at him. I was angry at an enemy that took him prematurely. If you've ever lost someone really close to you, you know what I'm talking about. But I made a promise that day that from that moment on, I was going to live life to the fullest. And that I was going to take every opportunity to snatch people out of hell and bring them with me to eternity with Jesus Christ and that nothing was going to stop me from that day on. So for those of you who know me, you know I'm a little bit intense. That's a, that's a good word, right? <laughs> you weren't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, I have this never-ending fire inside of me to live whatever time I'm given. I believe God is going to give me a strong and long and healthy life because that's if we take care, good care of ourselves, I believe God will grant us that. But what, the time we, what we do with the time that we're given is so important because someone else's life depends on it. And this is not meant to be heavy, but it's meant to say, you can do it. God is not looking for superstars. He's looking for the unknowns that have gone through all sorts of stuff in life. And you can be Jesus to someone else. Jesus is the answer, but he communicates that answer through you and through me every single day. You come in contact with people I will never meet. And I come in contact with people that you will ever, never meet. So for me, I have decided from September 1st, 2005 on, I said, I will do everything I can to live life to the fullest. And I don't always. I don't always. But I come back to this thought that, God, I surrender my time to you. I surrender my will, not my will, but your will. And God can do the same in each and every one of you. So how do we find that chaos time in our lives? How do we live that way? I want to give you four super simple thoughts this morning. And if you've been around for any length of time, you've heard me say this before, and you'll probably hear me say it again. But I believe that we have a fourfold purpose in life, and it's so easy. The first thing that God calls us to is relationship. There is nothing that he wants more than relationship with you. He is passionate about you. He is crazy about you. He is relentless about having a relationship with you. I know so many Christians strive to serve him without taking the time to know him. But Jesus even said that there will be people at the end of their life that said, but God, I did all these things for you. And he'll say, I never even knew you. Can I say serving him without knowing him is not meaningful? You need to know him first because that's why he came. That's why he died on the cross to reunite you back to your father. 
He thinks about you. He loves you. He prays for you. He pursues you. Several years ago, I was preaching or preparing to preach a message on the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. And it was one of those things where I heard him so clearly but so gently speak to me and say, it was the will of my Father that took me to the cross. But it was the thought of you that kept me on it. See, he knew that the will of God, he knew that his purpose was to go to the cross. But when he was hanging there and people were mocking him and taunting him and, and, and saying all sorts of things and challenging him, he could have called on legions of angels and he could have stepped off in that moment. But he said to me that day, it was the thought of you that kept me on that cross. It's because he loves you, because he wants relationship with you. Paul said it this way. We can skip down to verse 10, Josiah. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings to be like him in his death. There was nothing that was more important to Paul than to know him, to have relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus even defined eternal life like this in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Christ whom you've sent. I've come to the conclusion that I can never love God the way he loves me. But I want to know him. I want to be found in him. I want to be like him because nothing else matters. The second thing God calls us to is our character. Have you ever been around, say, a married couple and uh, they start talking like each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's one thing that you guys always say, and I laugh. I'm like, What's that? Oh, super. That's right. You, you know it's like one of them when you get like, oh, that's super. And I'm like, that's Ray and Richard. That's just how they are. But have you ever been around, you know, couples that start acting like each other, um, cheering for the same hockey teams, you know, those kind of things? Um, because when you're with someone, you become like them. And so when we have relationship with Jesus, when we have a passionate, intimate relationship with him, he starts shaping us and forming us so that we can become like him. His character becomes, and it's the very first purpose of mankind, of creating mankind. He said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He said, I want people to be like us. I'm creating them for relationship so that they could become like us. God wants us to be like him. John 17, 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. He's praying to his father, but he's praying for the disciples at this point. And it says that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. The greatest purpose in life is not to find a great way to serve. The greatest purpose in life is to know Jesus and to become like him. Because when we become like him and our character is like him, he actually says right here, the world will know that you send me. The best evangelism tool is to be in relationship with Jesus and become like him. Which leads us to the third thing, which is function. Once we know him and once we become like him, we can find our place and our function for him. But I believe only in that order. This is the place I believe we can do things out of rest and out of trust in him, not out of strife and guilt. See, some people get so caught up in their function, what they're supposed to do, they start comparing themselves with everybody else and then they feel useless. But can I say that it's actually pretty easy 
It's already been given. If you know him, if you're like him, then all you need to do is show who he is to the world. In Mark 16, 15, it says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's already been given. We just need to go out there and be Jesus to the people around us. It says, go into all the world, not wait for all the world to come to us. It says, go into your workplace, go into your school, go into your bank, go into your grocery store, go into the circles where you are and be Jesus to them. Show them the real picture of who Jesus is, not the distorted picture that has been shown on the media and on the news, but show them who Jesus Christ really is and what it's like to know him, to be like him, to be transformed by him. Paul said it's the only thing that matters. In fact, he says, I count everything else as rubbish if I only I can know him and know the power of his resurrection. We need to be a reflection of his character, which leads to the fourth thing, which is reproduction. Can I say this? Healthy things grow. And if you get life in perspective in that order, then you start growing in your relationship with him. You start being Jesus to others and you naturally will start reproducing. The uh, worship team can come back up if you don't mind. Um, But our original mission in Genesis 1, God says he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God intends for each and every one of us to live a full and satisfying life where we can start multiplying who we are to others. And who we are is not any more complicated than being like Jesus, living like him and loving like him. Jesus died so that we could come back to that very purpose. And I believe if we live our life in that way, where we put our relationship with him first, allow him to refine our character so that we can function for him and start multiplying, I believe that God can take every moment of every day and turn it into a moment that we can redeem the time that we've been given and let him touch us deeply and those around us for eternity. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.